pray together. Father, we come before you this morning as we have sung many songs and we have lifted up our hearts to you. And we do pray exactly what we just prayed. May your name be glorified today. And so we ask that, Lord, and we give you our lives, we give you this service, we give you our struggles, our pride. And so we look to you right now. We recognize that, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of all praise, all glory, of our lives, of our days, of our words, of our hours, of our every breath. That you are greater than all. You are greater than Moses. That through you, through the spilling of your blood, On the cross, you have made a new covenant. And now any and all who are in Christ are under that covenant. And it's a covenant of grace. And so we gladly rejoice in your grace this morning. And so we pray that you would help us. May our eyes be on Christ this morning. May we come before you. May you help our hearts. May we, every one of us, may we be malleable in your hands. And may you work in us, in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, and here at Haven. May you help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 will be in verses 6 through 10 this morning. Now, when you think of the Christian faith, what images come to your mind? Now, as you do that, I want you to be honest here. And just simply asking yourself, or at least as I ask that question, what is your gut reaction? Your gut kind of response or your what imagery comes to your mind? Uh, Not necessarily like knowledge, but your reaction as you hear about the Christian faith, about Christianity, about Christ. What images come to your mind? Do images of someone... With a hammer and whip come to your mind? You know, more and more rules, more things that you need to do, or things perhaps that you need not do. You know, the even the thought, you know, get in line. So a taskmaster. You know, one false step and you'll get it. So is that is that what kind of you feel even as you hear that question? You know, what images come to your mind? I'm not just talking about like you're thinking theologically. What doctrines come to your mind? You have all this knowledge here. I'm saying, how do you feel? What, do you, what kind of response do you have when you think of Christianity? And that requires some examination, doesn't it? So what do you feel? Or do you picture someone on a mountain 
you know, looking down on everyone else. Perhaps how you see other Christians, you know, even, you know, saying, why? Well, I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and you over there in the corner, I'm better than you also. Is that the way that you view Christians within Christianity? Maybe even yourself. Or maybe you see precious brothers and sisters in Christ that you've known over the years and you just think, they sure are godly and they were godly, but I'll never be like that. Or maybe you think, you know, Christ has saved me. The chains are gone. I am free. Now I can do anything I please. And who I like to please is myself. I wonder what kind of images come to your mind. I'm not sure what images you may have or have as I say that. Not just like I said, thinking of the theological truths. Well, this is how I should feel. I'm asking how do you feel when you hear about Christianity? And, of course, all those images I just gave, that doesn't necessarily encapsulate all of the images you may have. But I do hope that one image will be there, even as a correction to all of those false images that we may have. And it would be an image of a gentle and lowly Savior. It would be who in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That you would see him who, though he is greatest of all, he became lowest of all, servant of all. You would see him who knows you, he knows your sins, he knows your struggles, and he tells you the truth. He doesn't lie to you. He doesn't say they aren't what they are. But he tells you the truth and he calls you not to look for help from yourself or from the world, but to look to him today. And that you would find rest in Christ today. Not in hiding or running from him, but in simply and humbly bowing and submitting to the Lord, the Redeemer who came to save you. I pray that that would be the image that you would have this morning, not just theologically in your mind, but in your hearts by the end of this sermon today. This morning we come to the other half of James's exhortations here in verses 1 
through 10. Exhortations that aren't calling us away from grace, but they're calling us to grace. Exhortations that aren't calling us to draw near to self or to the world, but to deny ourselves and to draw near to God. And so for the sake of context, let me begin reading here then, beginning with verse 1. And may God bless the reading of his true and mercy-given word. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously? over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. With this second half of this passage, our verses here today, this morning, we see a deep contrast here. And as we see this contrast, I need to begin by saying something and making something clear, because we may lose sight of it as we go forward into the first point. So let me make it clear now. In Christ... There is grace. In Christ, there is grace, real grace, abundant grace, real life, true life, hope everlasting. And that's wholeheartedly true. And we need to hear that right now. Yet this isn't where we begin this morning in our verses. We begin on the other side of this. We begin with no grace. No grace. And we must begin here. This is where verses 1 through 5, even part of verse 6, are. No grace. So here we need to set again before us what we saw last week. And maybe you weren't here last week, so all the more. Important that we see this, where we need to remember 
the warring within and the world without. The warring within and the world without. And that's what we saw in verses 1 through 5. And the warring was, and you felt it, and you probably saw it and even experienced it last week, maybe, or even this past week. Walking through the week, you saw it. But the warring is great. How great the fighting and quarreling can be among us due to the war that is going on within us. Our lusts, our passions at war in us, in our hearts, in our motives, dead set upon pleasing ourselves, dead set upon, I've got to be right, no one can tell me I'm wrong, dead set upon getting our way. Not God's way, not others' good, but our way and our good. And as we saw last week, many of our conflicts find their origin right there, don't they? (laughs) Again and again and again, our conflicts arise, our fighting, our quarreling, in our marriages, in our homes, with our children, right here in our churches. They start right there. But James, he didn't end there, did he? He continued rather ironically. While we'll war against others, and we'll happily be friends with the world, in doing that we make ourselves enemies of God. And in all this, we see something and need to see something very clearly. You will not, you'll find no grace there. You'll find no grace here in those things. You'll find no grace from the war within, nor from the world without. And we need to see this because we can be so persistent on both of those fronts. We'll keep fighting, we'll keep looking to self, we'll keep going to the world, butting up with it, looking to self and the world for what self and for what the world absolutely cannot give. They cannot give you grace. You cannot get grace from you. And you will not find grace from the world in all of its systems, all of its philosophies, all of its arguments, all of its uh, politics. You will not find grace. And so we go on suffering and hurting others, drowning in all the confusion of the world and its bankrupt morality going from one thing to the next without end and everything just goes right on getting darker and darker and darker with no light. And why do we do that? Why do we go on 
doing that? Well, my goodness, there's a lot that we could say in answer to that question. But note what James says here. He gives one word for all of that amidst the other answers we may give to that. And it's the one word, pride. Pride. So in contrast to the warring within and the world without, James, he writes here in verse 6, citing the Septuagint's version of Proverbs 3.34. He says there in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so what does pride do? And not just general pride, but what does our pride do? What does it do in those conflicts and fights and quarrels? What does the world do with its pride when it's told it's wrong? Well, pride, it keeps us from admitting that we're sinners. It keeps us from admitting that we are wrong, that you are wrong. It refuses to be, as James says here, to be humbled. And so we see the bitter result of pride is God's opposition. God's opposition. So God opposes the proud. So let me read that again. God opposes the proud. And so let me ask you, is that the side of God that you want to be on? On the side of the proud, of those that God actively opposes? Well, James is saying that is what we'll have if we keep on going our, with our prideful warring and worldly wandering. And that, my friends, is graceless ground. No grace from you, and no grace from the world, and no grace from God. And so, like I said, we begin on a rather negative side here, as James does. And so as we begin that way, let me ask you another question. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? And I think most of us would answer, I want grace. I don't want more of a graceless life. I don't want more of a godless life. I don't want more of this conflict and warring that I see everywhere. I see it in my heart right now. I just want to say to the pastor, stop it. I don't like hearing all this stuff about me and this warring and fighting that I continually have against everybody. Where I want to love the world. You're telling me that 
The world won't give me what it says it'll give me. We want grace. We don't want the hammer of judgment in this life or in the next. We want grace. And it's available. Grace is available, but not from you nor from the world. But it's from and through and in only Christ and in Christ alone. And no other, not you, not the world, but Christ. And so rather than no grace, God, he sets before us and sets before you here. Verses 6 through 10, his great grace. His great grace. And we see what it's calling us to do. It's, see, we see here what it's calling you to do. And he doesn't call you to flee to self, but to flee from self. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in contrast to the bitter result of pride, we see the, res- the sweet result of submission to God. Of submission to God. And this is absolutely antithetical to our flesh and to the world and to the devil. All around us, we are hearing again and again from within and without more, right? Again and again, feed my sin More, feed your sin more. Give me more. Live for self more. Love yourself more. Is that not the psychology of our day? Do you love yourself enough? Well, friends, we love ourselves too much. We have no problem with that. So more. Love yourself more. Give yourself more. Listen to your heart more. No limits, no reasoning with you. Define everything by your terms, by you, and no one else. And all of that has a bitter taste to it, doesn't it? And if you listen to that kind of thinking long enough, if you keep feasting on its poison one day, you may no longer notice just how bitter it is. It's no good. It's graceless. It's hopeless. And it's lifeless. And this is why that word here that James gives us, that word submission, is like dynamite. It's dynamite as we hear it again and again in our Bibles because it counters sin. It counters the flesh. It counters the devil and it counters the world. It counters the whole system of what you're seeing and hearing and listening to from the world. Not pride. 
not your plan, not your ambitions, not your dreams, but submission to God, denial of self, lay it all down before Him, and let Him have everything. That's why that word is dynamite when we hear submission. I don't submit to anybody. No one tells me what to do. You can't tell me who to be or what I can do or not do. And that's the way they say it, right? Or that's the way you say it in your heart. Or you say it to your fill-in-the-blank. Your boss, fellow church member, your husband, your wife. Friends, how bitter pride is. How it will send you to your grave, trusting in something that is not worthy of your trust. Trusting in the wind. Or as Jesus said, trusting in a house built on the sand the destruction will be great. So you can be prideful now. You can say my way, my plans, all that stuff now. And friend, you will be humbled one day. Or you can be humbled now before God as you're being called to do by the word of God right now. And so rather than that, See this great grace here. It begins not with submission to self or to the world, but with submission to God. It's not opposing God. It's opposing our flesh. Yet it is here that we find reprieve. It is here that we find help. And it is here that we find Grace and grace not from ourselves or from the world, but we find it from the one who made us. We find it from the living God. And the sweet result of submitting yourself to God will be the devil will run from you, he will flee. Now see what resisting the devil is in verse 7. It is not you. He doesn't just he doesn't see you and go, oh no, there's Andrew. He, he doesn't do that. That's not what he's afraid of here. It's not you. It's God. You are not going to ever outbox the devil. Just get that in your head. You're not going to win. He'll beat you with his eyes closed, his hands behind his back, and people holding him back. You will not win. And so don't think here, well, I'm just going to take him out. That's not it. That's not what James is saying at all. No. It is God. And it is the power of God that overcomes and makes the devil flee. It's Ephesians 5.10. 
lived out. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So you resist the devil by submitting to God. Draw near to Him by faith through Christ and what will happen. God will draw near to you. God will draw near to you. So in submission to God, while you were warring and you were being beaten down by sin and self and lied to by the world, now here in submission to Him is when God draws near. No lies. He never lies to you. He never gives you poison, but He gives grace. He gives help. He gives hope. And He gives life. Now, as I've pondered this passage over the course of this week, And thought through these things. I think this is the very reason that the devil flees. It's not because he sees you. But because he sees God. And so see then where your help is found. It's not found in you. It's found in God. I mean how greatly would we be benefited And if we wrote it on our hearts and on our minds and on our hands and on our feet, these words from Psalm 121 to my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so may we, may we look to him this morning, may we submit to him. And not to ourselves. Cease giving room for yourself and put yourself to death. And so, as you see that, see here what is to be your demeanor. What's to be the demeanor of the humble here? The demeanor of those who are taking up this command to submit to God, to draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. In humility, here is the demeanor. Address your hands. In humility, address your hands. Verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Why? Why do we need to do this? Well, because it's with your hands that you have sinned and you have rebelled and you have warred and you have loved the world. And so there are actions behind your rebellion against God. And so true repentance, what true repentance does is it repents. (laughs) 
you go and you make things right. And so that means that you go and you confess your sins before God and before man. And that is what humility does. Submission to God, it does this. Pride won't do this. And so many times we don't see the damage that we have done. And so James, he is calling us here to look directly at the damage that we have done. Not ignoring it, but directly addressing it. All those people that we have fought with. All the pride that we have just let rampage over our lives. We are to directly address the blood that is on our hands. And so we're to go to that person, to go to our spouse, to go to our children and say, I am sorry. We're to cleanse our hands. We're to go and repay what we, the wrongs that we have done. We're to go and fix it. We're to go and cleanse our hands of these things. And so in humility, we're to address our hands and in humility, we're to address our hearts. So in humility, address your heart. It says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now this gets at the crux of our warring and our wandering ways. Now you, can, you can clean the windows of your car, <laughs> but if the tires are flat, what good is it? Right? Or you can put a band-aid on a bullet wound. But you need to deal with the problem. <laughs> the band-aid's not going to solve that bigger issue and address the source of the bleeding. And so here it is that James, he is calling you to do that. You look at the selfish desires in your heart dead in the face, you look at the worldly heartbeats and you cast them off that God and Him alone will be the one that you adore and the one that you treasure and the one that you worship. Just Him. And so you put off self. You put on, like this jacket, you put on Christ. You cast off sin And you repent from the heart and not merely with the hands. So not just outward. You're not just going, confessing, and fixing. So not just outward, but inward. You're dealing with your own heart. So in humility, purify your heart. And also in humility, see God's holiness and sin's wickedness for far too long I say this with grief in my heart that for far too long the church has proudly laughed at and laughed off sin and it has done that again and again and again That's why you see in so many churches that ultimately sin is not that big of a deal. 
when it should be weeping over it, it's laughing over it. The theologian Cornelius Plantica, he said it well. The awareness of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated sin, feared it, fled from it, grieved over it. Some of our grandparents agonized over their sins. A man who lost his temper might wonder whether he could still go to Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. A woman who for years envied her her sister, her more attractive and intelligent sister might wonder if this sin threatened her very salvation. But the shadow has dimmed. Nowadays, the accusation you have sinned is often said with a grin and with a tone that signals an inside joke. At one time, this accusation still had the power to jolt people Friends, as we hear these words from James, may our sin jolt us today. May we see our sin for what it is. Pride won't do this. You won't say that it wasn't okay the way I did this or did that. But humility will. Pride will ask, but what will people think of me if I do that? What if I, what if I have to go to them and say I'm sorry? What if I have to go to my children and tell, ask them for forgiveness for my anger, pride, or whatever it be, my stubbornness? Pride will ask, what will people say if I repent in the way that James says here, if I get on my face at these steps and I cry out to God and I have to take off this mask, what will everyone here think of me? Right now they think I'm godly. But if I take that off, what are they going to think? Pride will ask, what will become of my reputation? My job? And so on. Well, those aren't the questions that we are to ask. We're to ask, what does God think? Not what people think. Not what people may do. Not how it may affect our reputation. But what does God think? This is why you see the exhortation here. This slew of responses that we're commanded to hear. One after another. And this is why Isaiah, he responded the way he did in Isaiah chapter 6 that Mike read a moment ago. And what did he say in Isaiah 6-5? He said, Woe to me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That is repentance. You're not looking around. You're only looking at God as Isaiah was. R.C. Spoll, he wrote of Isaiah, chapter 6, he said, In the brief second he was exposed, Isaiah was made naked beneath the gaze of the absolute standard of holiness. Well, friends, are you perhaps taming God's holiness today? Where you are okay with some sin in your life, he is not. Are you taming God so you can continue in your sin? Well, James, he is calling you to lay it all down before the Lord today. In the same way, we are to humble ourselves before God and be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turning, turn, be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So you want to know what you need to do today? Well, do that. From the heart, before God, seeing his holiness and seeing sin's wickedness. True repentance, it's not half-hearted. It's not this kind of thing that we've seen so often. It's not a blunt, kind of limpy sort of thing. It is the whole man. It is the whole woman with everything they are saying, I submit to you that sin, I will cast it off. I will put it to death. I'll pluck out my right eye. I'll cut off my right hand, as Jesus says in Matthew 5. I will kill my sin. And Christ, you will be all to me. That's the kind of heart we're to have. All in. And so in humility, in doing that, in being wretched, in mourning and weeping, and letting your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom, in humility, what will be the result? The low will be high. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. And so the wars within and the world without pride, these will not lead you to verse 10. Only in humble submission and in humble repentance, you will find grace. You will find rest. And so this morning we end where we began. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. It's not from turning from Christ that you'll find rest today, but it's only in turning to Christ that you'll find rest. All of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, don't turn away from him who condescended, made himself nothing, humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross for you. But turn to him and find grace and find rest from the Lord this morning. And so no longer toy with sin and self, the world and the lying devil, but set yourself and sins and all before the Lord. And so as you hear these words from James, may you know the great grace of God and not in opposing him, but in wholly submitting to him. Let's pray. Father, we come and pray right now, Lord, as we read these words and we've heard these words from your word. Whatever, Lord, you're showing us this morning, and however, whatever way you may be convicting those here, if there's some sin that they've been walking in, that they may right now do as James says here. Cease walking in pride and submitting to self and living for the world. That they would cast off self, submit to you, and draw near to you, God, that you may draw near to them. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ today, that they would see what they're called to do. They would see their need to humble themselves. See that they can't save themselves. This world can't save them. It's philosophies, it's psychologies, it's ideologies, it's systems, it's pleasures. Cannot save. And there is no grace there. But there's only grace in Christ and Him alone. So we ask that you would help them to humble themselves and see Christ today. That he came and died and was buried and rose again to save them. That by trusting in Christ and looking to him by faith, repenting and believing the gospel, they can be saved this very day. And so we pray for those who may not know you. We pray for those who do. We ask that you would do your work in us. Help your church to no longer laugh off sin, but to repent of it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen.